0: Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitzky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Dr. Kelly O'Loughlin to the podcast to discuss how parents can best care for themselves while also caring for their child with autism. You you may have heard the phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup. This podcast is dedicated to help parents refill that proverbial cup so they can help their families live their best lives. So Dr. O'Loughlin is the perfect person to provide insight as she's a clinical psychologist, who has helped hundreds of families start on their journey with autism services. And she has years of experience working with special needs individuals. Dr. Laughlin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to start from the beginning. You have such a unique perspective here because a, a parent will notice something within their child's development. Something's just askew or not what they were expecting. And maybe they go to their pediatrician. Maybe they get an appointment directly with somebody like you, a clinical psychologist. So when they get that news, and I I, I guess I'll focus on the younger kids right now, those really young ones. How does this news hit the family?
1: Well, it's interesting because during my graduate school training, I was always taught that it was recommended to see the autism diagnosis as more of a loss and to help parents work through their process through grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, But in practice, I've learned that that doesn't really work that well. And it doesn't tend to benefit everybody in the long run. Mm -hmm. So instead, i like to acknowledge the diagnosis as a potential loss, but More a loss of what the parent's initial expectation was when they first held that baby in their arms. You know, where you put every hope and dream into your kid that you're going to, this baby's going to accomplish anything. Yeah. And so I like to remind parents that those dreams and expectations aren't really gone. They're just altered. Mm -hmm. And now the parent just has to deal with a different list of strengths um, and expectations than they did before. So that list just evolves instead of seeing it as completely going away.
0: I like that. I like the way that you phrase that is taking something and, and realizing it it's it isn't a loss, it's a change. But for all of us, aren't all of our expectations fluid? Don't we yes. always have different like goals? Don't we have different aspirations as our life goes on? And that this is just one of those stepping stones where it's just a new informative fact about, okay, so this is something that we're going to accept and work through and figure out how to take advantage of versus seeing it as a loss. Is that is that how you would be looking at talking with the family?
1: That's exactly how I look at it. Um, and it's just, it's very different than when I first started to do feedbacks for autism evals, where I still had it in my graduate school mind set where, um, I was helping them through a loss and Mm -hmm. more, okay, you know, parenting a child with autism is you, you've already been doing it. You just didn't label for it. Yeah. So now you have a label. So now we can get better information to you. Mm -hmm. So, but it doesn't change the parenting that you've already done.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what, as as probably when you were going through your clinical training as I remember that time period for myself as well. It's, there was a heavier stigma to autism at that point. It was seen as purely a deficit, which we've learned and we've evolved to realize it's not a deficit at all times. Like there are challenges sometimes, but it's not always a deficit. And I think that That stigma probably was trained into all of us as clinicians initially, and we need to continue to broaden our perspective as we're dialoguing with families, I'd imagine.
1: Definitely. And, you know, I've had the pleasure, especially as um, not just as a psychologist, but also as a therapist to work with kids from that early diagnosis time to like now where they're in their high school and... Um, junior high years, and I've really got to seeing these kiddos evolve over the years. And one of the things that I think is just so awesome is when we really focus on the strengths of autism Mm -hmm. um, and help parents to understand what the strengths of autism are too, because I think that you're right. It's just automatic thought that there's a deficit there and not that there's like all these amazing abilities and strengths that these kids now have. Mm -hmm.
0: No, and and that's hard to do. Is that you know what you read, you know what people have told you, but for families, they need to experience some of these strengths as well to believe it, to really in, engulf it into the lifestyle. Do you use stories? Do you do you talk with families about you know, I've seen this before, and i and and give them hope to. You know, I've seen children that started exactly where your child is and maybe they're not making a lot of sound, but that's that same child that now has 30 friends around them on the playground and is leading a game of uh, superheroes or, or whatever it may be. I mean, do you do you try and give them those real life examples while you're talking?
1: I do, because I find that that's often what we're seeking. Granted, it's really hard to come up with a true prognosis for such a young kid, you know, when they're two, when they're three years old. I can't really give a super, at least in my opinion, enlightening prognosis Mm -hmm. for the kid at that point, because there's so much development and change that's going on right up until they hit about the second and third grade that, you know that kid can go in really any direction. So just as much as they could excel, you know, we're not going to see them go backwards. We are going to see them go forwards. They don't go backwards. Yeah, They do go forwards just at different rates of speed. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: We're all, I mean, as parents, when we have our little baby, our baby's perfect. There's nothing, there's no, there's nothing about our baby that we do not immediately love and we see only the perfections in our child. So for somebody to tell us that there's something different and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong, but there's differences that are being seen with my child. I recoil a little bit as a parent and, and maybe I shouldn't, but I do. So how does the, the acceptance and, um, and I guess, I, I mean, just the acceptance and commitment to your child, and the coaching from the psychologist helped the family to reduce some of that initial stress of, the, of a diagnosis.
1: Well, like I said, I like to go into as many strengths about the diagnosis of autism as I can. Like, so some of the strength that I like to remind parents of kids diagnosed with autism And again, because we all know that every child with autism is different, um, these don't apply to every child with the same diagnosis. Um, But often these kids tend to be exceptionally honest individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, They also have very deep passions and very intense interests. Um, They can be incredibly detail oriented, can have excellent memories, almost to the point of, you know, it's drives a parent crazy with those excellent, with that excellent memory. Um, They don't really have a lot of hidden agendas. So, you know, when a parent starts to describe their child with autism as being manipulative, I'm always like, well, wait a second. (laughs) You know, let's, let's take that back for a minute because manipulation requires that you have more of a negative um, motivation for the behavior. Um, And these kids with autism generally don't have a negative motivation. It could be a misunderstood motivation, but it's not really a negative motivation. Um, sometimes they can follow a schedule to a T and be incredibly punctual individuals. Um, they can have gifted abil- abilities in different subjects and topics, can be really excellent visual thinkers, have their own unique sense of humor. And um, one of the things that I really love is that they can often be very bias-free and able to take others at face value.
0: I, you know what? If, if, I, if I were to look at that list and to know that I have a, a newborn on the way and somebody would tell me, Jeff, there's a high likelihood that your child is going to be honest, passionate, detail-oriented, not passing bias on others. I mean, that list Sounds good like a pretty stuff. good list. I know, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. But it is hard to get there as, as a parent. I mean, it it is because sometimes getting there means you have to change your life. You're going to rely on other people coming in to support you. You're going to put your faith in others to help your child to achieve a lot of those goals, which means that your life is no longer what you thought it was going to be. So, And I know that there's a lot of therapeutic techniques and one of them out there for a lot of families is, is just utilizing mindfulness. And I might have you just walk me through what mindfulness is for the rest of the listeners, but I'd also like to know is how families use that and how they live in the moment to help manage some of the anxieties and stressors that this change of life is giving them.
1: Well, I'd actually like to bring up um, a recent research study that I read about that I think really fits in really well with this topic. Um, So it's a 2020 research study um, in autism research, the September version, and it's from Schnabel and Halford um, et al. So with a whole bunch of other authors. And it basically said that one in five parents of children diagnosed with autism had enough symptoms to qualify for a diagnosis um, a provisional diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And so that really struck me, um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times we don't think of PTSD as a, a parent issue per se. We think of it, um, for soldiers. We think of it through people who have been through trauma. We don't think of it as a parent who's been through parenting.
0: Yeah. um, The trauma seems to be on a spectrum, too, right? I mean, this trauma is emotional trauma for a parent. This is the one thing you care the most about.
1: Exactly. And so the thing that I thought was was really interesting with this study, so 96% of the participants were mothers. So again, that made me think of um, mothers, as you had mentioned earlier today. Um, And of course, the symptoms are more likely in parents whose kids demonstrate more challenging behaviors like physical aggression and self-harm. But this also means that um, PTSD symptoms are three times higher among parents of children diagnosed with autism than any other parent. So that's parent of neurotypicals, parent of children with... other diagnoses, or even medical conditions.
0: Yeah, and you know what scares me the most about those statistics is that those parents are probably the most dedicated to everybody else's well-being, dedicated to their child's well-being. How do you how do you help them to support or even know that, you know, it's okay to feel this way, and you should sure that you have supports available for you, and that could be um therapy it could be a group i mean it just to give them that empowerment to know it's all right for me time during this process because if you can't take care of yourself you're not going to be as good a parent which is the reason that this ptsd is is there in the first place
1: right right so i think that a lot of that really relates back to the mindfulness that you were saying before So one of the issues with PTSD is it's um, really overthinking past experiences, right? Um, So whether those experiences were just experiences in the past or they were traumatic, but it's really reliving these experiences over and over and over. And so the point of mindfulness is to be within the moment so that you're not going back through those past experiences that you're able to kind of sit in the here and now. And I think that a lot of times you're right. Parents of children with autism, they're so busy taking care of their child with autism, taking care of their neurotypical children, taking care of their spouse. I mean, everything um, that they don't even just sit and be with themselves Mm -hmm. for just a few seconds. Um, so a lot of times when I see a parent who just really is having a difficult time with finding time to take any moments for themselves, I like to just tell them that we're just going to sit here for a few minutes just together and they can talk about whatever they want. They can think about whatever they want, but I want them to be in the here and now of the moment. Yeah. So, you know, some of the easiest ways to go about is to let your senses are perceiving in the here and now move, moment. So whether that's what you hear going on, what you smell in the room, um, what you see in the room with you. Um, it can also be about, you know, taste if you have like a specific thing that you're eating or tasting at that time. So it's really focusing in on what's going on within that very moment. And if a parent sees that they can do that for something like two minutes, five minutes, that can be really enlightening for them mm-hmm. because they think that they have to do it for 30 minutes or an hour or you know, several times a day. And it's like, no, yep. you know, you can take like a nice deep breath from getting out of your car before you go into the house for just a few minutes, before you enter into the world, your world, your family life, even if you just take a few minutes within that moment to be present and in the here and now.
0: Yeah, you know, I, but it's so hard to learn that it, it, it's, it's something that I think it takes that time apart to sit down and realize all these things don't need to be done immediately is that like I don't need to rush 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 Um, as an an analogy to this is that a lot of families that I've spoken with and I think mine too during the pandemic life became chaotic I was on 24-7 I was teaching I was uh, trying to take care of everything in the house which was my office doing my work. everything, I I felt like I was on constantly. And when I took a step back, it was like a lot of the families with children uh, who are autistic, they are experiencing, they need to be on 24 seven. And that's their mentality. And it took me a second to realize you need to have that separation every once in a while to be the best you. And then yep. everybody benefits from that best you. So it, I think that what you're doing with mindfulness is, is an, an amazing thing. And I think that all of the families and even clinicians benefit from this same process, just because it is such a tough um, experience to feel like you have to constantly be at your best and not give yourself slack.
1: Definitely. I completely agree with that. And I think like that's the experience that I often go back to um, with my own self-care because I know as psychologists with your whole psychological treatment team, we meet together every two weeks across the country. And that's some of the things that we talk about is our own personal self-care because we do feel like we always have to be on top of it. And that, you know, We have to try to find some way to get this appointment in here, even if we don't have the time to make it happen. So just as we have to coach ourselves through that, we have to remind ourselves that that's just as difficult for a parent to be coached through that process as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that there's parallels between both parental burnout and clinician burnout um, is that they exist, that self-care is what really would get us there as far as making sure that that you do have that time to devote to either mindfulness or leisure activity or uh, quiet time or whatever it is that gives you the time just to take the noise out of your head. Um right. So when you're talking to families is that you're, you're talking to them about their therapeutic options. You're helping them to realize that there's support's out there. And I would imagine the big emphasis is that no parent is ever alone on this journey. So how do you advise them to build that community of support so that they never feel like they're on an Island?
1: So, I like to give them as many options as possible because often in that that brief time period that I get to see the family, um, I don't always get to know really what option is gonna be best for them. Um, So I like to give them as many options as I can. So I like to let them know about parent groups that um, are specifically for parents of children diagnosed with autism. And I'd like to let them know that, you know, there's different types of parent groups. So, you know, there's groups for people who have children that are more severely impacted with autism, but then there's also support groups for girls diagnosed with autism and um, more mild or high functioning autism as well. So there's all different types of parent groups. Um, I try to always leave that caveat that, you know, parents aren't going to always know everything they're going to know like what their experience has been. So, you know, we can't always take um, all the information that another parent presents to us as evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I still feel like those experiences, they're still very important for other parents to hear it from the other parent. There's only so much I can do as a clinician that I think a different connection is made with another parent that you know. I I just cannot have that same relationship.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And 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 normalization is probably one of the most powerful things to know that somebody else has experienced what you're going through. Is that when you're in a crisis, which is that you're automatically feeling like you're not going to get out of it. Nobody's ever battled their way through this before, and I have to now live and be a trailblazer. And having a bunch of people there who can share their experience, their, their triumphs, their successes, along with their challenges that they had to push through, it, it really creates hope. And I think hope is the big thing is I hope my child can succeed. I hope I can do the best for them. And I hope that the world is open to every opportunity for my child. So that diagnostic process from when you're coaching the family to see those strengths all the way through to helping them to realize how to be the best them to support (laughs) their child. I think that that is, it's the resiliency that a lot of the families share that makes it a good treatment path. Um, I actually have a unique question for you. It's, um, so you, you've mentioned that you have a team around you. In this, in a team-based model, sometimes behavioral health care is working with diagnosticians and working with psychotherapists and ABA practitioners. So the family has a lot of people in their lives. How do you suggest that they communicate when those needs occur? They have They have people in their home all the time. Should they be talking with them about, hey, where's my resource? Or should the other clinicians be communicating better to say, let's check in on this family? What is, what's the best route to make sure the parent mental health is stable?
1: I think that that's a really good question. So, you know, I like to let them know, like, your pediatrician should be one of those people. But if it's not your pediatrician, can we get you a developmental pediatrician that could be more of that person for you? Mm-hmm. Um Can we get you hooked up with some kind of behavioral health service for you or your other family members, whether it's a psychologist or a counselor? I think that a lot of times when ABA is on board, um, the primary person becomes the, the BCBA, the board certified behavior analyst, more so than anyone else in the treatment team. And so one of the things that whether it's liked or disliked within the state of North Carolina is that BCBAs are supervised by psychologists. And the piece that I really enjoy about that process is that I get to really be much more hands-on with our families because of it. Um, So if one of my BCBAs is working on something and they start to notice something that they just feel is off. They can come back to me and present it to me and say, hey, is this something I need to be concerned about? What do I need to be concerned about? Because I'm, I look at behavior. I don't look at, you know, emotions and thoughts and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I look at behavior. And that gives me the opportunity to say, you know what? You keep looking at the behavior. Let me look at that person so that I can look at the thoughts and the feelings. And you and I will then get together and figure out what we need to do to help this family.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a a great model of care is that you're able to broaden that scope of competence that you always seem to have somebody that's a specialist that can kind of key you into the right direction. I I, I think that that seems to work well.
1: I I think it does. And I think that with our treatment um, team that we have here with our North Carolina um, facilities, definitely helps with that. And that's the piece that I really love about my job is When I get to help um, a family that otherwise really wouldn't have shown through my door except for a diagnostic purpose, where I get to follow up with them for, you know, something else like therapy, or because a sibling is having some issues in dealing with the diagnosis. And so I can make myself available to see that sibling. So to be able to use my expertise, as well as to let the BCBAs then use their expertise, I think works so well for us.
0: Yeah, I I think that you're you're singing the tune that I think that we all really feel is that you, you have to have some really good coordination of care in order for the family to make sure that they're supported through the process and that they feel like they're in the right hands so that even if they are feeling anxiety or stressors, they feel like it's going to be taken care of. And they have somebody that they can rely on to help support them at those times. So what would be your your words of encouragement for, for families?
1: Well, I mean, one of the reasons why I like to work with ABA is because I know the importance of ABA as a treatment resource and as the treatment team that is really with this child and this family day in and day out. You know, especially when they're receiving thirty, forty hours a week of ABA therapies, they're seeing the same people every single day, and you know those people can really be a, a lifeline for them. And it's through those people and through their training and education that we can be able to get the family accessed and tuned into what it is that they need. Yeah. Um, so whether it's they need more training in his subject, um, whether they feel like they need more education on a topic or more support again for siblings. Cause I think that that's, you know, often just as important as anything else. I just, I, I think that with having that ABA team, it really helps us to do that. Yeah. Um, but I also let parents know, like if, if I had to stop and like really think, okay, this person is telling me I need to do this for my kid, I need speech, I need occupational therapy, I need ABA therapy, I need to see a developmental pediatrician, they have a really hard time prioritizing what to do first. And I'm not just saying this because I work for a company that provides ABA, but I always recommend ABA as their first entry into services. Um, because there are going to be some verbal behaviors that the ABA therapist can work on that will definitely help with speech language. But also the the BCBA knows what their limitations are too. And they know when it's going to be time for them to say, you know, we need to bring a speech path on board with this particular kid, or it's time for us to bring that OT in at this point. So I think if I can at least get them started with ABA, it will start to open up the doorway to some of the other services that they need.
0: Yeah, no, it's tough to navigate all of those different resources and everything that's going on. And and at times is that ABA can serve as as that case management piece is that they'll understand when it's outside of the scope of competence and find those resources. Um, and it does, it takes that team. But I, I mean, to go back to that initial proverb is that not only can you not pour from an empty cup, but I'm going to add additional proverb to this is right. that it also takes a village. You have yeah. to have a community. You have to have that support around you and you have to feel trust in your village to be able to say, I need help right now and to, to accept it and to know that we're all going to need help at some point in our lives. And it's Okay. And I think that that's what I'm I'm hearing and seeing in the way that you approach this process. I think it's something we can all learn, not just for children who are autistic, but in our own lives. It's how do we apply all this so that we can be in the moment, experience things, take change, and keep moving forward with the hope that we're always going to see better. But I appreciate your time today, Dr. Laughlin. And I, I think that the, the families out in the, the Winston-Salem area of North Carolina are extremely lucky to have you out there just uh, as, a, as a resource and as somebody who can really be there and be an advocate. So I appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.